Chapter 5 Will walks, pulled along by a guiding tug in his chest. The hot breath of the stag is at his back. He isn't following it this time. He has a destination. There are twinkling lights on the road, red, white, and blue. They resolve into a car. Will dials down his hearing. You can't drive if you can't get a handle on your hearing. Two men get out. Cops. One shines a flashlight right in Will's face. Will shuts his eyes tight and covers them with his arm. It's still too bright. Will tries to dim his sight, but he feels slow and thick, like he's still half asleep. One of the cops says something. Will wasn't paying attention. What? What's your name? Will Graham. You know where you are, Mr. Graham? No. The cops look at each other. Where do you live? Wolf Trap, Virginia. We're in Wolf Trap, so that's good. You're close to home. Finally, finally, he takes the flashlight off of Will's face. Is that yours? He's looking behind Will. Oh, hi, Winston. Winston tries away when Will bends to pet him. It isn't until he shifts his weight that he realizes he's in just his underwear, freezing cold and with his bare feet aching from the asphalt. He must have his sense of touch dialed way down. Can I sit down? My feet hurt. How about we take you home? Will rubs his arms and nods. Okay. They ask him about drugs, medications, alcohol. They ask him if he has a history of sleepwalking. He buries his fingers in Winston's ruff and admits, I'm not even sure if I'm awake now. I'm sorry it's so early. Never apologize for coming to me, says Hannibal, fixing Will with the coffee, black with just the right amount of sugar to complement the roast. Office hours are for patients. My kitchen is always open to friends. They both sip silently for a moment, giving the coffee the reverence it is due. Then Will blurts out, do you think it's a sentinel thing? Only indirectly, Hannibal assures him, and that without your senses, Jack Crawford might not have gotten your hands so very dirty. I'd argue good old-fashioned post-traumatic stress. Hannibal is lying through his teeth. Will was found on the road to Baltimore, his subconscious is feeling along the fragile tendrils of their developing bond, seeking closeness to strengthen it. In a simpler time, they would be lovers by now. If Hannibal were a better man— or if this were happening with absolutely anyone other than Will, he would have made a referral and cut off all contact weeks ago. I'm not sure if that's better or worse. It does present an obvious solution. I can handle it, Will insists, so stubborn and brave. If Hannibal somehow succeeded at capturing Will entirely within his mind, an impossibility he can already tell, Will would probably hammer his way out again like Athena. Somewhere between denying horrible events and calling them out lies the truth of psychological trauma. Will bristles. So I can't handle it? Your experience may be overwhelming ordinary functions that give you a sense of control. Helped along by Hannibal's careful campaign of overwhelming Will's senses. If my body is walking around without my permission, you'd say that's a loss of control? Hannibal looks him in the eye and says, Wouldn't you? The coffee tastes especially good this morning. It's probably the company... He wonders if he can talk Will into joining him for breakfast. That is some nose you have there, Doctor, says an amused Bella Crawford. He really is quite charming, isn't he? Jack murmurs to his wife, eyes glinting at Hannibal as he absorbs this new, late bit of information. I first noticed my keen sense of smell when I was a boy, says Hannibal as he pours for Jack as well. I was aware one of my teachers had stomach cancer even before he did. He meets Bella's eyes as he says this, and she drops hers first. "'Ones are the luckiest hypersensitives, I think,' says Jack, 
Perks of extra information, none of the risk. In the army, we were almost as possessive of our ones as we were our sentinels. And probably could have retained many more if they weren't reduced to a number, Bella says sweetly. Jack grins and sketches a salute with his empty wine glass. Your organization performs a great deal of advocacy for those on the hypersensitivity spectrum, yes? It's the cornerstone of what we do. Accessible guide training is the single best way to improve outcomes. My fondest wish is for basic zone rescue to become something children teach to each other on the playground, like tying their shoes. That's a very specific wish. He wouldn't pry even this much if she hadn't dropped such an obvious breadcrumb. Bella's smile is sad. Well spotted. I lost a friend when I was very young. No screenings or referrals for kids in neighborhoods like ours. I think about Mahara every time I have to make a speech. She shakes her head briskly. But enough shop talk. May I ask what the next course is? After dinner, when Jack is getting their coats, Bella asks for Hannibal's card. I have a co-worker with a nose like yours. She was the first to know, pulled me aside one day and suggested I go see my doctor, but it was already too late for him to do much of anything. How often do you see him? Twice a week at first, now usually just once. Hannibal counsels Jack's dying wife, beautiful in her dignity and resolve. He would save her if he could. He is so moved that he gives her actual good advice, not to hide this from Jack. This, despite the additional confusion it would cause Jack to sense his wife continued concealment. Will hears heartbeats everywhere he goes. Usually, he ignores the heartbeats of others as easily as he ignores his own. Dr. Lecter is a curious outlier this way. The slow and steady rhythm is like a grounding drumbeat whenever Will is with him, and Will can hear it from farther away than he can hear most others, even those who are as large and lean as his guide. But most of the time, heartbeats are white noise. To listen too closely would be maddening. The raised tempo of the white noise at the no-tell motel is Will's first warning that what he's about to look at is extra fucked up, even before Jack advises him to prepare himself. The crime scene doesn't disappoint. He gets treated to the sound of Brian Zeller swallowing hard against his churning stomach as he photographs the angels, and experiences a rare flicker of sympathy as opposed to empathy. It's one of those times when his senses have nothing extra to offer, and are in fact a hindrance. He gets more insight back at the lab, away from the thunder of distressed hearts, than he does lying on the angel maker's bed. He thinks Dr. Lecter was wrong earlier. Jack would have sought him out for his thinking, with or without his senses. Standing in Dr. Lecter's office, looking up at Dr. Lecter, picking through his books in his loft, Will recalls Zeller's comment, kneeling a supplication at the feet of G-D. He doesn't feel like a supplicant. Dr. Lecter is eager enough to help Will with his profiling. And the first time Will was in this office, he was the one up on the second story. But being on the ground, gazing up, does provoke an admiring frame of mind. Will has lived in towns with smaller public libraries than Dr. Lecter's book collection and yet he finds the volumes he wants without hesitation. They lob ideas back and forth. God and brain tumors? Fear and abandonment? Ever feel abandoned, Will? Abandonment requires expectation. But I'm not bitter. What were your expectations of Jack Crawford and the FBI? Jack hasn't abandoned me. Not in any discernible way. Perhaps in the way God abandons their creations. That's so grandiose Will doesn't even have it in him to be mad. Oh, this should be interesting. Grinning, he turns up his face to catch the show. Please, Doctor, proceed. Straight face, Dr. Lecter says. Jack gave you his word he would protect your headspace, yet he leaves you to your mental devices. Will shrugs. 
Not entirely. He recruited you. And has taken that as carte blanche to ill-use you ever since. Are you trying to alienate me from Jack Crawford? Will asks, incredulous. As your guide, I am charged with helping to keep you stable. You can help me by helping me understand how to catch the Angel Maker. Dr. Lecter drops it, and they go back to discussing the case. Will feels equal parts irritated and charmed. It's been a long time since anyone tried to mother-hen him. The words stay with him, though, itching under his skin, abandoned, ill-used. At the next crime scene, he snaps at Jack and gets bellowed at for his trouble. Left alone with the strung-up body of the security guard, he does something unprecedented. He does not let the pendulum swing. He refuses to experience the Angel Maker's self-castration, not when he wouldn't even gain anything new from putting himself through that. He has enough insight on the face of it, and the killer's thoughts are too anomalous for him to find his way inside them. He stands and looks at the tableau for a believable length of time, and doesn't have to fake a troubled silence when he leaves. Unfortunately, all his rebellion gets him is a worried talk from Beverly, and then waking up on his roof to the frantic barking of his dogs at the window. Hannibal is beginning to feel genuinely concerned for Will. There's no vicarious thrill in these killings for Will to feel terrible about, for all that the Angel Maker somehow knows on sight that his victims are terrible people. There's only delusion and desperation, and Will suffering under the weight of both. Hannibal is loath to let their futures together be cut short by Will walking off a roof in his sleep and breaking his neck. Still, he can turn even this to his advantage. He is not surreptitious as he draws near to Will, steadying Hannibal's bronze stag, and takes a deep, indulgent sniff. Did you just smell me? Will demands. Yes, I never thanked you for ceasing to wear that appalling aftershave. Seems like the least I could do, Will mutters. So, how do I smell, doctor? Tired. Dangerously so. Have your headaches gotten any worse lately? More frequent? Yes, actually. Strain on the mind takes its toll on the body as well, quite literally in your case. Will winces. My feet would agree with you. Yes. No doubt wandering down a freezing highway in his bare feet had some painful consequences. It's troubling that Will didn't feel it before he woke up. Hannibal rapidly firms up certain plans. May I make a suggestion? What is it? Call your dog-sitter. Come to my house for dinner and stay the night. If you sleepwalk, I can intervene. Will's eyes widened. Don't you think that's a little above and beyond? Not at all. I've already slept at your house twice. Allow me to return the favor. You're the second person to ask me that recently, Will remarks. To sleep in their house? Hannibal keeps his voice even, but only with effort as he restrains a sudden swell of jealous outrage. How extraordinary. No, to return the favor. Ah. Mollified, he presses. Well, will you? Will closes his eye. His face is drawn. At last, he sighs and nods. Not tonight, after the case breaks. We're all going to be working overtime until we find this guy. Running on aspirin and coffee, Will is going to be a wreck. But having him in Hannibal's house by choice is better than forcing him. And a broken-down Will is one who needs building up as Hannibal sees fit. They're almost certain the angel maker is Elliot Budish, but Will and Jack don't tell his wife that. She starts to tell them hesitantly about his withdrawal from his family. Off to Will's left, Jack's heartbeat speeds up, and his breathing becomes hitched and constricted. He scrubs a hand across his face. Something has taken his mind a million miles away from his office. Will is going to have to pick up the thread of the interview. Luckily, she is very forthcoming, plainly still loves her husband, worries for him. She wants to help. She helps Will realize where he'll go. 
Will is pretty sure he knows what they're going to find before he drives up to the barn with Jack, before he hears the creaking ropes and sluggish drip of blood, shaken loose as the body sways in the breeze, the heart having stopped hours ago, before he sees the sweet and easy peace on Budish's face. It doesn't make it any easier to look. He tries to tell Jack so, arguing with him until he finally says as plainly as he can, This is bad for me. Jack is frustrated, angry that Will can't just perform indefinitely. In the end, he says, You want to quit? Quit! And stalks off. Will's head is spinning. From the scene, from the fight with Jack, was he bluffing when he said he could go be a mechanic? Could whatever is in him that thrives on the violence he sees go quiet? Or would it rise up and take over? He is in no way ready to turn around and see Budish on the ground, lurching for Will, knife in hand. Budish collapses to his knees and whispers, I see what you are. What do you see? Will whispers back, See? See? Inside. I can bring it out of you. Not all the way out, Will says, and despairs at that truth. He can leave this place behind, but what he is will always be with him. I can give you... Budish wheezes, shaking badly. The majesty of true becoming. With that, he collapses, and a blink later is back in the rafters again. Will realizes he never heard the man's heart. I hallucinated again, Will confesses, sipping the wine Hannibal poured him the instant he entered the kitchen. He's not really savoring it, but neither does he gulp, so Hannibal holds his tongue. Budish? Yes, he spoke to me. I tried for days to get inside his head, but he was too sick. And now he speaks to me after he's dead? What did he talk about? The coquille St. Jack are under the broiler. Hannibal removes them just as the Gouillere sauce bubbles and turns brown. Will hesitates, then says thoughtfully, What I'm afraid he would have seen in me, probably. Very psychologically astute, Will. Will shrugs. We spend enough time together. Something is bound to rub off. Hannibal manfully suppresses a number of lewd rejoinders to that, in favor of plating the coquilles and gesturing for both of them to move to the dining room. What's this? Our first course is coquille St. Jacques, a traditional French dish. Scallops poached in white wine. Then... Then gratinide in their shells on a bed of minced mushrooms. Bursting with butter, cheese, and heavy cream, the recipe is out of favor in restaurants, but Will needs the calories. Hannibal doubts very much that he's eating anywhere near as well as he should. Will eats quietly, making appreciative noises now and then. He hasn't surrendered so completely to his senses as he did on that wondrous day in Hannibal's office, but he is certainly paying attention. The wine and the food, a salad full of dried fruit and nuts, surf and turf with an obnoxious golfer standing in for the steak, and creme brulee, work their magic. And by the time they are sitting with brandies by the fire, he has gone from pale to pink and from exhausted to relaxed. Hannibal broaches the subject he had been thinking of since yesterday. Tell me, Will, when you find yourself outside in the mornings, what wakes you? Last time it was my dogs barking. The time before that it was the lights of the police car. This despite the fact you were unclothed in the winter, barefoot on unforgiving surfaces? Are you suggesting I keep my sense of touch too low the way I keep my hearing too high? Yes. Will sips his brandy, thinking. Finally, he says, You're not wrong. But aside from this, it's not really a problem. It's no longer just an aside when it threatens your safety, and you already know my opinion regarding denying yourself sensation. People aren't exactly lining up to put their hands on me. Only because you fend them off so thoroughly, darling. I have, Hannibal points out. Will snorts. 
as a rescue tactic, and that's the most touch I've gotten in. God, years. I would be happy to do more if you would allow me. This is the understatement of Hannibal's life. Will eyes him sidelong. What kind of more did you have in mind? Careful, careful not to spook him. Just a massage. It's a valuable strategy for releasing tension and improving sleep. We'll nod slowly. That would be okay. Hannibal shows him to the bathroom upstairs and instructs him to take a hot shower. I would suggest a bath, but I don't want you falling asleep just yet. He sets out towels, shampoo, toothbrush, and toothpaste, the softest available like Will's own. The guest bedroom is across the hall to the right. Hannibal leaves his jacket in his bedroom. Into the guest bedroom, Hannibal carries his supplies. Grapeseed oil, more towels, and a blanket he purchased some time ago with Will in mind. He spreads it across the bed, folding the extra material against the wall. He turns up the heat in the room and rolls up his sleeves. Will arrives, damp and awkward, towel nearly lapping his slim hips twice over. His legs below the towel are hairier than his chest. He studiously avoids looking at Hannibal. His gaze lands on the blanket and turns curious. That's very... gray and fuzzy, he comments. Doesn't quite fit your decor. It's not a decor item, says Hannibal. Touch it. Will reaches out and touches the blanket lightly, then immediately slides his whole hand over it. Oh my god, he says. What is this? Kivu, says Hannibal. Musk or underwool, soft and warmer than cashmere. Sounds expensive. The best things tend to be. The blanket cost over $3,000, but it's worth it for the wonder on Will's face as he strokes it. You want me to lie down on this? Yes. Only cover yourself with a towel if you will feel more comfortable that way. Hannibal turns away and closes his eyes at the moan that follows the rustle of Will settling onto the bed. He turns to see Will wriggling helplessly, face down against the knit fabric. Supposedly, unspun kuvu fibers are so fine they cannot actually be felt when resting on the skin. Skin with baseline sensitivity, anyway. There is a dropped towel near Will's waist, as if he was going to cover his buttocks and then forgot to. Hannibal drapes him up to the waist with the additional folds of the blanket instead, and Will groans aloud. Jesus, it's so warm. It's an arctic animal. And soft. It feels like... I don't know what it feels like. It's completely unique. Will babbles. Uh, touching you would actually be a helpful counterpoint right now, doctor. All right, Will. Hannibal rubs some oil onto his hands and lays them on the back of Will's neck. Will shudders and then sighs. Better? Will nods, slow and exaggerated, as he rubs his face into the wool. I was getting lost there. Lost is not the goal. Good is the goal. Hannibal works the delicate muscles of Will's neck with one hand, rubbing his scalp in small circles with the other. There's only so much he can do for Will's neck without a proper massage table, where Will can face straight down. So he moves on to some light effleurage, gliding up and down the skin of Will's back. He discovers an unsurprising knot between Will's shoulder blades, a point which no doubt bears the brunt of Will's occasional slouching. He needs it firmly, and when it gives way, Will grunts and goes limp, only his fingers still moving in the blanket. You're good at that. Guess I shouldn't be surprised. Surgeon and all. Thank you. When you're ready, I want you to start letting yourself feel more. If you want me to touch you in a certain place or way or not, you need only say so. Don't spin that dial much. Will comments, voice already blurring. Now is a good time to practice. Hannibal resumes his gentle stroking, moving from Will's back to his shoulders, discovering an old stab wound, badly scarred, and wouldn't Hannibal just love to meet whoever put it there? 
and then moving down his arms to his fingertips. One Will's little finger slips from his grasp. Will breathes out harshly. Tell me. I can feel your fingerprints, Will says. His voice is thick. He is badly touch-starved. Hannibal uses firm pressure on Will's feet and toes to avoid tickling him. That happened last time, at the very end. With the pomegranate? The sight of Will writhing in overloaded pleasure, finally snatching the fruit from Hannibal's hand and snaring his fingers in his hot, wet mouth, is writ large in Hannibal's memory. Will says, yes. Hannibal moves up Will's calves to the back of his knees. Will trembles and adds, This might end a very similar way. Sweat is starting to beat on his back. I would be similarly gratified if it did. Your pleasure is important. Will's hamstrings quiver as Hannibal needs them. Very lean and strong. Runner's legs. Hannibal pauses at Will's gluteal folds. May I? Is it only my pleasure? Are you only gratified? Will asks. Begs nearly. Please don't lie. No, Hannibal admits, and the gravel in his voice surprises him. Not only. Then yes, please touch me there, doctor. Hannibal slides the blanket away to expose Will completely. He places fingers over Will's pale, neat buttocks and says, At this juncture, I think you had better call me Hannibal. He seems to have lost the trick of keeping his voice even, at least while he can see into Will's cleft. He digs his fingers into the meat of Will's ass, and Will moans, shockingly loud in the small room. Hannibal! Hannibal squeezes the muscles, and Will's hips buck down into the blanket, which sets off another round of ecstatic squirming. Hannibal, don't let me zone. You won't. You are here with me, with my hands on you. He skates his hands rapidly along the whole length of Will's body, letting the friction heat his palms. Tell me what you feel, Will. Tell me. Oh, God. Um, hot. So hot. This stuff is like, like a cloud, made out of, of threads of fire. And your hands are hot. Fuck. I can feel your pulse in them. And time with the sound of your heart. Will grinds into the bed, his words a breathless rush. Not so slow now, he adds, and sounds decidedly smug. No, Hannibal agrees. It's taking considerable effort to keep touching Will with just his hands, to keep his hands moving, to not spread his ass and work his hole open with his mouth and fingers, and then fuck Will until he comes screaming Hannibal's name. He wants Will more than he wants sex with Will. This is his mantra as Will shifts fretfully under his touch, caught between the stimulation of skin on skin at his back and the matchless softness against his front. Oh, Will gasps suddenly. What is it? I can smell you. God, Hannibal, you smell good. Hannibal clenches his jaw against the feral rumble that wants to start up in his chest. Of all the times for Will to get a flicker of his true olfactory range. What do I smell like? Tell me. Herbs, Will says, voice shaking with his body when Hannibal needs his ass again. Wine, burnt sugar, a sweat. Your, I think I would know you anywhere now. Fuck, fuck Hannibal! He starts to overload, and Hannibal digs his thumbs into pressure points at the base of Will's spine, and Will climaxes with a shout. The exquisite smell of his release fills the air, and Hannibal takes a deep whiff and sighs. Someday, he promises himself, he will get to taste it. If things continue so promisingly, he may not have long to wait at all. I think I ruined your blanket, Will murmurs. It's entirely washable. Hannibal will spot clean the deposits. The odor will be detectable to him for a long time to come. He is, he reflects, becoming quite obsessed with Will. How do you feel? Melted. Hannibal chuckles. Well then, let's pour you into bed so you can get some rest. He helps Will into a spare pair of Hannibal's own pajamas, and more or less rolls him under the bed covers. 
That's never happened before. Bull mumbles, half asleep already. Good food, alcohol, massage, and an orgasm. Hannibal is surprised he hasn't passed out already. The smelling. It's nothing to worry about, Hannibal assures him. This is a lie. Best practice dictates Will should go for extensive testing at a sentinel hospital and receive education on how his risks and needs will change if he does fully manifest. Go to sleep, Will. Will does not reply. Hannibal musses Will's curls and then heads to bed as well, where he brings himself off faster than he has since he was a teenager. He comes to the memory of his hand spanning Will's hips. He sleeps longer than his usual three hours, and blinks awake at the shuffling of bare feet in the hall. He rises in silence and opens the door, just in time to see Will bump gently into the wall outside Hannibal's room. Apparently, Will's body has forgotten which house it is in. Will, he says as softly as he can, I'm here. Will turns towards the sound of his voice. The vacant look on his normally expressive face is jarring and unpleasant. Will pads up to Hannibal, and Hannibal's hand settles into its familiar position at the nape of Will's neck. Will, though. Will steps closer and buries his face in Hannibal's chest. Hannibal's eyes close in shock. Will snuffles contentedly, smelling at last what he has been seeking in his wanderings. At length, Hannibal pulls himself together enough to clear his throat and say, "'You found me. Well done. Come, you can rest now.' He draws Will into his room and tucks Will into his bed. He can always tell Will he woke up to find him there. He pulls Will close, back to Hannibal's front, curling his body protectively around Will's smaller one. With their hips lined up, he can put his chin on top of Will's head. Will's legs are longer relative to his torso than Hannibal's are. Will snuggles back into him with a little sigh and drops deeper into sleep. Shockingly enough, Will feels more charitable after his best sleep in ages. The next day at work, Jack's sorrow is still so obvious it makes Will's chest feel tight. He finally slips into Jack's office when Jack isn't working, just sitting in an armchair, staring into space. What do you want, Will? Jack's voice is dull. He doesn't look up. Will sits down in the chair beside Jack. I'm going to sit here until you're ready to talk. You don't have to say a word until you're ready, but I'm not leaving until you do. He feels very awkward, but Jack always waits until Will is ready to talk. He can return the favor. As he waits, he doesn't say, I sleepwalked into my guide's bed last night. He let me stay. I don't remember the last time I slept so well. He doesn't say, I've never been attracted to a man in my life, but there's a first time for everything. I think he would reciprocate. He doesn't say these things, but he thinks them, in the waiting silence as he tries to help his friend.